you know, I'm really lucky to have had that experience that I know that, you know, a bunch of surfers with no campaign experience at all and no knowledge of anything can make a big difference. And if we can, then just think what everybody can do. And that, that's my kind of key message, I think, is believe you can. You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast with me, Dan Burgess. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. Um, it means a lot that you're tuning in wherever you are. And I do know that actually, um, from my statistical breakdown, um, that, that, that there are listeners all over this wonderful globe, all over this spaceship Earth, beautiful planet flying through the universe. Um, so great to, uh, it's fantastic that you're listening and means a lot. And uh, hope you're enjoying the output. Um, this is episode 16. It's taken a little of a while to have a little bit of a little bit of a pause in the flow of the output of the spaceship Earth, and this is this is you know a little reflection of what it is to be a podcaster, to be a solo podcaster. Um, you know, no sponsors, no production teams. It's just me, um, which means you know sometimes the podcast um, output gets a bit stuck. Um, but that's all right. That's life, right? This is the world, actually, that I feel more comfortable with, which is, you know, things aren't always on time. The uh, It's not always an efficient machine. There's a sort of messiness to life, which is actually quite beautiful, you know? Sometimes the things are just emerging and unfolding and flowing, and in other times there's kind of, you know, meltdown and uh, chaos and things get stuck. And, you know, but that's just... That's just what it is to be human, I think, maybe. So what that means is I have a bit of a, a backlog sometimes. Um, well, right at the moment, you know, I've recorded a few episodes, but then I've got to upload them and, you know, do a little bit of top and tailing and then, um, you know, put the covers on and the show notes and then stick them out there into the world, into the universe for you, the wonderful listener, to... to um, Yes, to 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 listen to, <laughs> to listen to, and hopefully to inspire or provoke or give you some uh, some some other little bits of knowledge or or help you question things or or who knows what they do actually. I have no idea. I do get a few emails, which is nice. People say you know keep them coming, keep them coming. So that's what I'm trying to do. But anyway, yeah, back to the one man show. There is a little bit of a backlog, um, so I've got a few episodes I've got to try and push through now. Um, and this one is episode 16, and this is with uh, uh, a wonderful man called Chris Hines. Now, if you are a surfer, or even if you're a sort of, you know, an ocean activist, you will probably know of Chris Hines. Um, Chris Hines was one of the original co-founders of the Enviro Surf charity, Surfers Against Sewage. Now, um, he uh, started with um, another crew, uh, Surface Against Sewage, nearly 30 years ago. I think it's next year, it's 30 years. Um, now, if you know Surface Against Sewage today, you'll know they're under the amazing uh, leadership of uh, Hugo Tagome, and they're doing extraordinary things. And you might know uh, a lot of their work today around the ocean plastic crisis and actually in increasing the... Um, you know, our plastic consumption crisis basically in land and doing all kinds of amazing work there. And I'll link to, uh, I'll link through to that in the show notes if you're not aware. But they, the Surf Against Switch actually started, as their name suggests, because there was um, literally shit flowing into the sea. Um, 
from all from all from all areas and uh, and so I caught up with Chris um, by chance in Ireland last month and um, had a uh, an opportunity to have a, a conversation with him about how uh, what what happened nearly thirty years ago how did this uh, service against switch start and what I love about this conversation with Chris is it basically Chris. Um, is a very inspirational character but where what you get from chris is that you know if something's really bothering you do something about it and this is a great story of um believing that you can change stuff even if you've really got absolutely no idea what you're doing um but you're determined to do it so i'm going to cut it short then just kick into the interview and actually this is part of my thing at the moment with these podcasts is um, to keep them coming, to keep the time, um, to keep them coming out, to keep the recording, to keep the conversations going. I'm going to try and just um, uh, make these top and tails pretty short, straight in, straight out, uh, and hopefully the conversations themselves will do the work. Um, so thanks for listening. Um, I hope you enjoy this one. This is uh, Chris Hines. Well, Chris, welcome to uh, the Spaceship Earth podcast. Brilliant. Um, thanks for finding the time for this. Yeah, pleasure. Um, I'm... Super curious about, um, I mean, you were a co-founder of environmental surf charity, Surface Against Sewage. And yes. that was 1990, right? Yep. Um, and I wondered if we could start there because I was, I was raving a lot in 1990, but I would love to know what was going on with you. How did this whole thing happen? Like, can you give us, because a lot of my listeners, you know, some of them will know about Surface Against Sewage today. Um, but many of them actually probably won't, may not know at all. And I'm just really curious because that's, that's a nearly, it's 30 years next year, right? So yeah. I'd love to just know a bit about your story, how it all, what was happening at that time? Where were you? How did this thing start? Okay. So I, I, I guess, so I was born in 62. Um, if you were raving, I was loving punk and reggae when I was 16, 15, 16, 17, um i moved to cornwall I, I grew up in devon i moved to cornwall when i was 19 working for a surfing magazine I lived in a van um for six so you were months. surfing from like yeah age 11 i had my first 11 or 12 i had my first hard surfboard um boo a, a wooden belly ball before that um but then i yeah i, I got a job with the first UK surfing magazine to get national distribution through Smiths and John Menzies and things. So that meant I could move to Cornwall. Which was and live what? what was that mag? That was God. That was a magazine called Surf Scene. Um, now gone to the. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, but it was the first one to get that national distribution. And surfing at that time was kind of tiny uh, compared with what it is now. And um, you know, we had a circulation of a few thousand. And then that took it to 14,000 and then advertising could get involved, etc. Yeah. So I got this job paying me f um, 40 quid a week and that wasn't enough to have a van, uh, to vehicle and, a, and somewhere to live. So I lived in a van for the first six months. Yeah. Uh, learned a little bit of a trade and then basically spent the next few years just living the dream, going surfing as much as I could, uh, trips down to Morocco, Australia, uh, through Indonesia and things. And then I came back in about 88, 89. And um, a, a bunch of us in the kind of couple of villages, Porth Town and St. Agnes, and some of us living in a place called Mount Hawk, which is just a mile inland, we were aware of all of this pollution. And ironic, like even like today, it was 
with all the plastics campaigning, it was the panty liners and the condoms that were really making it very visual. Mm. And before the the panty line, you know, the sewage was in the sea, but it wasn't evident. Um, so a, a guy called Andrew Kingsley Tubbs, Ange is what he's known as, um, he coined the phrase SAS, surface against sewage, playing on that military Saying yeah. he'd always had a little bit of a fixation with wearing gas masks. I think the first time I ever met him, he was in a gas mask right. at a fancy dress party. And there was this little kind of kick of a few of us were saying, well, you know, we could print a few T-shirts, spray a bit of graffiti. But, you know, then others were saying, well, what would we achieve? So there was this little call. Um, if you were serious about this, you know, I was one of the ones I said, well, you know, that will cause a little bit of a stir, but it won't achieve anything. And what's the point in that? So we called a, a meeting at Minzy's house. Minzy's one of the local surfers, and we went around his mum's house. And about ten of us turned up. Four of us put ten quid on the table. Um, we called a public meeting two weeks later um, and did a little press release about that. And 200 people turned up. You couldn't get into the village hall. There were people leaning in through the windows. We charged £2 membership. We were that naive that we thought we may be able to save up and buy a sewage treatment works. Uh, they were several million, we found out <laughs> shortly after that. So that wasn't going anywhere. Um, but so it was the, really the, evident. So the sewage problem mm. at the time, and obviously the surf community was obviously a lot, I guess, a lot It was smaller. tiny. Yeah. Yeah, tiny. And, and we were surfing in shit. Yeah. And that uh, was, was it almost like part of just that was part of the deal? When did you start feeling like this is ridiculous? Or um, it was it was that kind of year. The year before that, we were going, this is just a joke. And, and we we started to ask around. We kind of went, well, what's happening? And, you know, the National Rivers Authority, who then became the Environment Agency, said, well, nothing. And um, the water company, the privatization of the water industry was just happening. And there was this absolute clangor where um, Maggie Thatcher said, she was prime minister at the time, and she stated on BBC Nature that um, all sewage is treated before discharge. And that was a downright lie. There were 400 million gallons of crude sewage being discharged every single day around Britain's coastline when she said that, from Brighton to Bournemouth, Newquay to Newcastle. Every single coastal... Um, village, town, city, literally what you flushed down the toilet and went out of your washing machines, etc., all just went straight in the sea, most of it with e- without even a basic sieve screen in place. Hmm. So we were surfing in a slick of human shit. Right. We were, you know, Porth Town, which then became known as Porth Tampon. Right, yeah. And I managed to get that into Hansard. So it's there in the House of Parliament Select Committee. Um, you know, it was obscene. It was, you know, literally... We, if low tide was twelve o'clock lunchtime, then everybody about this would be all of Campbell Pool and Red Ruth, the biggest conurbation in Cornwall, would all go to the loo uh, in the morning. That would all drain out of the outfall pipe, two outfall pipes, two and a half million gallons of crude each, and then with an incoming tide, that would just push up the coast into Porth Town, and that would be what we would surf in. And wow. you know, we would get ill. Yeah, gross aesthetic pollution panty liners blowing up the street outside the village shop and we just went this is crazy we'll do something yeah enough yeah. enough so you called this meet yeah and you had this idea of like what is that you sort of saw it as a as a at that point what what was your what was your what was your thinking about what where this could go or did you, was it just more an experiment uh i don't think there wasn't particularly much thinking <laughs> think really uh, which it, which makes it amazing where it is today yeah. um we just wanted to try and make a difference 
we wanted to try and get initially our own two three beaches cleaned up you know st agnes was pretty foul as well st agnes had a little short outfall right next to the beach there um and we just wanted to initially to do that but as we the moment we put our kind of heads above the pulpit or put our hands up in the air and said we've got this problem everybody else started contacting us and through that summer you know one of the first things we did was we went and bought shares in southwest water that allowed us to go to their annual general meeting we started getting media coverage um brilliant guy so there was a guy called howard judd um howard rest in peace he died a couple of years ago but he took the first photos of um a guy called Justin ward another one of the, the local crews started it and Justin was surfing in a gas mask and then you know the daily mail picked up the daily mirror picked up on that printed a whole page picture of Justin, and we were kind of off you know by that september october we had a channel 4 documentary following us um, they did an hour-long documentary. Um, what and were they exploring at that? What was the angle that they were interested in? Was it, uh, was it the you know just the sort of this grassroots? Action? Yeah, was it, I, like it was big business or what was? It the, was it was a bunch. It was basically this tiny bunch of people being activists. Yeah, and obviously, you know, at that time, surfing was so small. Nobody really cared about the surfing. But I've often said, you know, surfing's used to sell everything. From you know washing powder to cars, it's the ab man's dream. And in a way, what we did was to go, okay, well, well, maybe we'll use surfing to sell the issue of clean seas because that imagery allowed us to to get hold of that. And you know, people, you know, Capital FM when we first went to the to the houses of Parliament, Capital FM could play a Beach Boys track, right, and then lead into us as a story and and. That allowed people to communicate about it. Um, what did we think we'd achieve? Well, I mean, we that first summer we raised through membership and sale of T-shirts and sweatshirts, and then we had a fundraising ball. Uh, Glenn Tilbrook from The Squeeze, uh, he played our first ball. Um, so we got this wonderful guy called Graham Jones, lives in the village. Graham used to be the guitarist for Haircut 100. Mm. And Graham said, oh, I'll try and f- get someone, and you know, 500 of us in a marquee on the cliffs, with Glenn Tilbrook playing, you know, and we raised some money. And at the end of that summer, we there was enough money to pay me for six weeks. I wasn't doing anything. I'd just been, I'd quit my job and was doing surfing lessons. And they said, you know, you can work for yeah. until the money runs out. And there's six weeks and that six weeks became 10 years. Wow. Mm. And this was as well, it's just been the context. This is a sort of pre, pre-internet, right? This was yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so we, uh, so off we went and, um, through that kind of summer, through that the end of that summer into the autumn, and then we kind of went to Wales, and you know, whoa, they had problems. You know, if we thought we were bathing in horrible waters, go to South Wales, and then you've got the kind of whole all the toxics coming in as well from British Steel and BP Bagland chemical plant, and um, but so and the documentary of following us, uh, our membership was climbing um, quite rapidly at that point. And you're picking up members from other parts of the country. All over the UK, yeah. yeah. And all over the UK, people were going, you know, you think you got it bad? Come and have a look at this. You know, Hartlepool, my goodness, that was just stunningly hideous. Wow. Um, but we, you know, one of our members phoned us up, I think in about 91. Uh, one of the members rang up and said, um, look, I've bought sas.org.uk for you. And I said, what's that? <laughs> didn't know because it i mean we, it didn't mean anything to us 
at that time. So it was completely pre-internet. It was telephones, letters, faxes. That was what was our means of communication. Yeah. And that, because I guess, so within that context, so you talked about like, I guess you could call it a a stun element or like, you know, from the... Like for example, the gas masks, and mm. so you you sort of, I guess you have to, to you have to sort of be quite creative in those in, at that time, right? To 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 get the attention, was that an obvious thing immediately for you as an organ? You was you sort of saw that as a sort of an approach for you guys. To, yeah. yeah, we 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 knew that the way that uh, in a way a picture tell you know picture yeah. tells a thousand words. So that use of imagery worked very well, uh, and. The, the kind of slightly punky underdog you know lack of respect for the establishment i mean i don't have you know i i respect nature mm. um i respect people who take nature into account and i respect people who in the establishment who rule and act in on behalf of the environment and people i don't have any much respect for the establishment sure. per se it, it should be representing us so all underneath all of that those were these kind of values that were driving us and causing us to go so when you know we one of the early thing, things was we were told that Porth Town passed the bathing water directive well actually it complied with the minimum basic minimum standards of it but we knew it was full of shit yeah. so we sure, said well <laughs> yeah yeah and you know it was there lumps of human feces and panty liners and condoms getting stuck in our hair and you know so that was happening so that mm. kind of made you go well why would i believe this then yeah um because there's some pretty serious um uh, infections that were going on as well right and yeah uh, i mean they yeah you, you're gonna hepatitis a you know extreme diarrhea and vomiting mm. you know to the worst case and and it couldn't be concluded but you know at the in 1999 i was called to go and give evidence at the coroner's inquest into the death of you know an eight-year-old child mm. um and they didn't conclude that it was but it was concluded that it was a possible route of infection right. so um you know and through that time through the 90s you know they sucked our blood they took mouth swabs from us as surfers, and you know we're three times more likely to contract hepatitis A than the general public. Um, there was this certain bug called the astrovirus, and again, you know, it was far more prevalent in surfers and recreational water users than the general population. Uh, and we would always work with these people, so they would, you know, yeah, literally come and stick needles in us and mouth swab us and test what we, actually, you know, what were we showing as a community? Mm. And how are you? So I guess you're you're up and running. Membership's growing. You're discovering that this is obviously a problem all around the UK. Mm. So you're building the network on the ground. Um, when did you start? You know, how how did you or did you you know start deciding on strategies or policies or you know how did that? Because you when you look at SAS from afar, you see it. At least I see it. You know, and I think from early on you sort of see it, but it definitely is there. It continues today. Is having you know, amazing kind of mobilizing potential on the ground, but also like a very, very smart sort of razor sharp focus on the establishment and what the asks are and what the policy shifts should be. And, you know, so it's yeah. really sort of, yeah, it's very, very kind of smart organization. And I think that feels like it was always, that was always your sort of approach. But when did you start being intentional about that? Uh, early on. Yeah, we kind of knew that there's no point whinging. You know, it's easy to whinge. You've got to come up with solutions. And, 
you know from very early within the first six months we you know we wanted to see a complete cessation of the discharge of untreated sewage to sea we wanted to see both the liquid and the solid element of it used as a resource rather than a waste we wanted to see the greatest environmental bang per pound of customers money spent and we wanted a complete cessation of the um, discharge of toxic waste to sea mm. and those were four things that within definitely within the first year we had set down those yeah. were our and we went and looked you know high and low for solutions because we knew we couldn't just um whinge and one of the other things that happened was as we started raising our profile and i think this is a general thing that can happen outside of just oceans and surfing or whatever is that if you've got a problem put your hand up make people let people know because two things happen one someone else will go well i thought it was just me and you get the shared community and that creates more power but also other people will come and help you so you know we had scientists you know contacting us with you know the results of health studies etc etc within you know, within a, a six months, a year of forming, they were approaching us and saying, you know, we like what you're doing here. Have a look at this scientific hmm. paper. Have a look at this engineering concept. And then in, um, I guess, 92, 3, there was this thing called, so everybody wanted, the water companies wanted to build long sea outfalls, which basically meant dump the sewage further out to sea, mm -hmm. um, which would mean that the indicator organisms that made you pass the bathing water directive would comp you'd pass the directive but the water at Porth Town was still full of shit right so in so indicator organisms die off in a matter of hours in salt water hepatitis A can do 100 days so an absence of the indicator organisms doesn't mean an absence of right harmful pathogens right. so we established that and then um, so we didn't want long sea outfalls because they would treat the indicators but not the risk and they were bloody expensive big engineering projects and very much kind of a male dominated engineering industry at the time you know big pumps big pipes big dicks you know uh, uh, and it was was very much that way yeah. you know it was this was a when you went to a conference you know we would go to conferences and they would absolutely hate us being there but it was that still you know people would be drinking a lot and falling asleep after lunch at these conferences it was very very male macho mm. industry that was what it was and we eventually found out that they're in the, on the island of jersey they'd looked at building a long sea outfall cost um 11 million pounds or um putting in this thing called uv disinfection ultraviolet light on the end of secondary treatment so they had primary and secondary already and they would decision uv two million pounds long sea outfall 11 they put in uv disinfection and the bacterial count in their outfall pipe was 50 times cleaner than the standard that was meant to be okay at, right. at, at our beach. So I gave evidence to a Houses of Parliament select committee. I'd written some evidence. Was called to London. Went and sat in front of a select committee. Um, put my suit and tie on. Because, again, you know, if you're going to go and talk to these people, you may as well, you know, don't let... a a, a difference in dress code yeah, right. up mean, mean, whether mean whether or not they take you seriously yeah. um, and they quizzed me over this and I said well on the base on that bacterial count I'd feel 50 times safer sticking my head up Jersey's outfall pipe and the island of Jersey heard about that and said that sounds good for our marketing <laughs> so off we went and I stuck my head up their outfall pipe um, what, what was that like? 
Yeah, lovely. <laughs> I mean, it looked, tasted, and smelt cleaner than Porth Town and the other beaches around the UK that we were that were meant to be clean. Yeah. So, and that, and it was cheaper. It was nine million pounds cheaper than building along Sea Outfall. And shortly after that, um, you know, by this time, certain water companies would be, even though we'd be demonstrating against them, they would always want to. You know, some of them. So Welsh Water, Durkumry Welsh Water would always want to meet us. We'd nail them in the morning with a, you know, press call, gas mask, wetsuits, 10-foot inflatable poo, and get lots of media. They'd have to respond. But, you know, hats off to them. They'd always then say, come and have lunch. And we'd sit and have quite an awkward lunch with them. Um, but they looked at this UV disinfection and they ended up, They we got a fax arrive and it's two-page fax chugged through the machine and we read it several times. And this was them committing to a full UV treatment policy for all of their coastal and estuarine discharges, no more long sea outfalls. And there was no catch. Right. And they even invited us to go and open their first full UV works. We cut the ribbon. It surfaced against Sewage's name on that brass plaque up there in Crickieth in North Wales. Amazing. Yeah. So when did the uh, inflatable turds uh, happen then? Whose idea was that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably guilty. Um that's probably yeah 92 3 yeah it's very good and again like no internet so you just had to kind of like look through the yellow pages yeah, right. phone up directory inquiries for an inflatables company <laughs> and then i can remember ringing up and, and this woman answered the phone and i said i want an, uh, an inflatable turd <laughs> and you know you could tell that she'd gone off into the factory because by the time someone came to the phone to talk to me about manufacturing one of these they were all giggling and everything but yeah, I think best 300 quid we ever spent, really, probably. Yeah, because yeah, they, got, they got a lot of uh, yeah. media interest, didn't they? Yeah, and, and and the beauty of it is is that you can put that in the back of a car. Yeah. You know, you turn up with, you know, your SAS car and logoed up and, you know, three surfers and local surfers as well, and you, you know, connect the pump to the car battery and next thing you've got a full demo. Yeah, it's, it's so it's so interesting though i think for again for you know folks that are younger folks now who you know growing up with all these tools and technologies online it's mm. just fascinating to sort of i think to sort of yeah think about those kind of constraints that you were working with but actually almost in many ways you know could yeah it's just interesting how effective they became but that constraint i guess forced you to be more creative yeah um, in, in, in its had. way i mean it, you know it's it, it's yeah. Yeah. You, you've got an opportunity. So, yeah. and, and, and you need to be, again, you, we never did mass demos. Mass demos are really hard to communicate, to get everybody there, because, you know, even if you say we're going to get 10,000 people marching, you won't get 10,000. Maybe you'll get 1,000. And it's hard to convey the numbers there. Um, but the photo opportunity, of an inflatable poo and gas mask surface. You know, we we once did a demo in Scarborough and we did exactly that photo shoot. And we looked at the front page of the Scarborough um, local newspaper on the Saturday morning. We hadn't got anything. And I went to pick the Guardian up because, you know, I usually buy that. And um, we were front page on that. We were the front photo on so the you Guardian. Hadn't made, you hadn't made the Scarborough Evening News. No. You just made the front page yeah, of the Guardian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went, whoa, that's all right. <laughs> I'll take that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But and, and that's the power of that, you know, the power of imagery. Did you find, because um, I'm interested in, um, I guess, also like today where activism and 
citizen participation is 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 going but just going back to that that first 10 years for you did you find yourself were you did you ever have any fear around what you were doing do you always feel something's interesting what holds people back or what or what pushes people forward into sort of to 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 really yeah become active around things that we care about and what were there any instances where you're like well we're pushing this one a bit too far or is it just anything you can share around uh again like i hats off and i would give you know forever credit to Ange. so this guy Ange, he was he was the chairman through most of the early years and um between us we would if one of us would have an idea we'd double it treble it quad and then we'd go oh that's slightly too far and we'd bring it back down but there was always that you know we knew we were taking on you know the combined force of 10 privatized water companies the department of the environment you know the national rivers authority now the environment agency that's who you were taking on so it was almost the more it, that gave you the force and yeah no, no i mean it was scary yeah you know absolutely yeah. you would kind of go my god we don't have a clue what we're doing <laughs> yeah, really yeah but you had this sense of kind of righteous outrage and you you knew people wanted you to succeed and they were paying their membership and you know that was your job mm. you know and it was it was yeah it was a it was, it was a kind of privilege to do it although i guess in a way you never thought about it as a privilege it was just the job to go and do yeah. and we'd always thought that you know that first year we probably never thought that we would be going a year later we thought we'd do a little bit of publicity that first summer and that would be that um so every year and every day that you were there was a bonus yeah and therefore go hard yeah and did you feel um were there any particular situations or did you because i guess that's the thing you know you're you're i guess the enemy was these organizations Mm. was these did you ever f- did you have any instances that where you really did feel that pressure from you know was there any particular times where you really did feel the heat off these organizations were they how did they treat you uh oh yeah you know like off the record you know you would get you'd do some media takes um with you know would be filmed by television and you know you'd have chief exec or md of a company with you and you know off camera they'd be pretty brutal Mm. um you know they didn't want us to exist really they absolutely didn't want us to exist yeah and i would say most of them were pretty honorable but there were a few cases where uh, yeah people i would have said they stepped but beyond their professional line Mm. um yeah, and I guess that that was just partly their problem. But that's yeah. you know we had a job to do, and we weren't going to back down just because it upset them. That wasn't part yeah. of the remit at all. And I mean, you know, there were some absolute scary ones. You know, like I got called um, to go and give evidence to the Monopolies and Mergers Commission once, and you know I knew I was up against it when in the waiting room. You know, there's. 10 copies of the Financial Times, 28 coffee cups, and you walk in there and there's the 11 members of the commi- the Mon- Monopolies and Mergers Commission and then there's all their advisors and and the other side, the t- there's probably 50 people stacked up on the other side of the room and on our side of the room there was one glass of water and one name tag 
but respect to them they you know the opening words from the chairman was you know we understand this must be incredibly intimidating take your time you've got every right to be here speak your truth yeah and politically how how did the sort of the um um because there you know you, you sense today that there's um with the select committees in parliament mm. just i mean how did that relationship politically evolve then between surfing and sewage um we very quickly so within uh we did our first lob so we formed officially in may 1990 uh we demoed parliament and went to the houses of parliament uh in march 91 so within 10 months of forming and we basically were down the pub going you know we got to do something we should just go to the houses of parliament yeah that sounds like a so you go in monday morning ring up the houses of parliament say how do we do this and you know you phone up and the sergeant at arms says up you come you come up meet me and within six weeks you can come and demo parliament and you'll probably want to book a um a meeting room because yeah okay we will and and you know the can day we, bring, we can we bring an inflatable turd with us yeah it? they didn't let us do that no we hadn't didn't have that at the time yeah. but he said that you know he said you can bring your surfboards yeah. and you can write whatever you want on your surfboards um so you know a coach came from cornwall uh, and then other members came from around the uk to lobby their mps we booked a meeting room um and again we you know we had this channel 4 documentary following us uh we got sky news we were on the sofas in on sky capital fm and the day we 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 day we arrived, the government announced a two million pound spend on research into the health effects of surfing in and swimming in sewage contaminated seawater. Wow. So the very act of stepping forward triggered that two million pound wow. spend. They wanted to be able to say, "Yes, we take this very seriously," and here you go. And we in the debating room, you know, we had them, the shadow environment spokesman, the Lib Dem environment spokesman, and the minister David Trippier turned up because he had to. So we'd forced that hand. Mm, amazing. And so that first decade, how did, because obviously, you know, you started a service against sewage. That was the focus was was sewage and then other mm. toxins coming in. But yeah, how did that 10 years develop? Can you give us a sense of, of how it all unfolded and what was the, the impacts that you you made in that 10 years? Okay, so, I mean, the, the massive thing that was achieved is is so... We've been driving this, you know, high as hard as we could up the political agenda with our members. We'd lobbied Europe. We'd been to the European Parliament, briefed them. We'd found the solutions. We used legal cases. We won, you know, with two women. We did a judicial review of a council. So, and won at the Royal Courts of Justice. And and we had our science. So we, we were using all these different tools. We were buying shares in their companies. We were affecting share price. Um... And we were a hot topic, you know, sewage contamination of bathing waters was a big issue in the 97 election. Not, you know, not the overarching one, sure. but environmentally, it was one of the top issues because climate change, climate change was bubbling, but it wasn't out where it is now. Yeah. And that shift, that change from Labour, from Conservative to Labour in the 97 election, you know, massive landslide. Lots of the seats that went from Tory to Labour were in coastal constituencies, mm. and they wanted a quick win. Um, I'd been at a, a press call back in the December of '96 with Michael Meacher, um, and in '97 he then became the Secretary of State for the Environment, and I got a phone call in um, 
September. They came to power in May. September, I got uh, an invitation, 24 hours notice to go to be a special advisor to the Secretary of State. Walked into a meeting room, three senior guys from the Environment Agency, three senior civil servants from um, the Department of the Environment, Mr. Meacher, another couple of advisors, and myself. And I had free reign to ask any question I wanted. And we knew what we needed was UV disinfection. And we knew it was cheaper. And we basically had that argument within that room. And I walked out of there two, uh, you know, two hours later punching the air. And six weeks later, Labour, Labour ruled that all sewage discharges must receive at least secondary treatment with UV disinfection for about two-thirds of that population. And But we were using EU legislation as well. That's the other thing. We were just forcing the UK government to comply in true spirit with the legislation on time. Hmm. So from that point of... And it, it took until the end of the year 2005 for all those treatment plants to be built and most of the big ones were done by the end of 2000. So that was done and that, you know, that triggered a yeah hmm. about a £5 billion spend on the clean-up of the UK coastline. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that wasn't all of us. Sure, we played a significant role in that. Yeah, you created a lot of noise around the issue. And yeah, and we were pushing the solutions. Mm. You know, it's that it, it, we were pushing the solutions and the need and the public awareness and the public demand. I mean, even down a, uh, you know, we're at this conference in uh, this workshop in in um, Dublin now, and mm. I was saying to someone earlier, you know, the power of the media. One of our one of our members rang up at one point and said, look, I, I'm, I'm a scriptwriter for BBC Casualty. What, let's do something. And they wrote, you know, and this was when Casualty used to have 14 million viewers remember, yeah. on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. And they did a program called Waving But Not Drowning. And it was our story. They couldn't say Surfers Against Sewage, but they spent £2,000 on our sweatshirts and T-shirts. So we were right through that program. Amazing. And and I think there's a really powerful way there of of connecting and creating some of those changes by normalising it, it that it you don't just have to watch a program where you're concerned about environmental activism to get the message. You can put that message across in a lot of different ways. Mm. Hmm. And so your your personal journey was was a decade, right? Yeah, yeah. And so then, t tell me about tell me about stepping away from something, an organisation like that, and now, because I think I think yeah, it'd be good just to understand your relationship now, and because it's quite amazing to be have been a part of something, but also to step away, and I don't know what your relationship is now, but I'd just be curious as because I think some because I think the 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 the, the success now, you know. 30 years next year. I mean, mm. it's a phenomenal uh, story. And, um, you know, and I think it's, you know, today that kind of, that kind of lifespan that started off, like you say, in such a sort of um, brilliant kind of experimental way. Tell me about your relationship and like and moving on from that. So when we got that, uh, that commitment to, to do everything, that was, you know, that was 85% of what we set out to do. And I think, you know, the utopian view would have been everything would have been UV disinfected. And um, so we'd achieved that. And part of, I'd always said that part of my job remit was to put myself out of a job as quickly as I could. So I kind of had talked myself into that, yeah, if yeah, you see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was tired. Yeah, I bet. You know, it was, 
you know, early days of SAS, you know, like the first four years of SAS, I was living in a caravan and, you know, that was, you know, we were paying minimum wages and that kind of stuff. And it, it was hard work. And, and you know, you'd... It, so I was tired and I kind of... I felt I'd achieved that. So I felt I'd done my time and I passed the baton on. Now, you know, it's important to stress... They still do. They do an amazing job. You know, I had lunch with Hugo on Friday and they're doing an amazing job and they're still burning with that energy and they're still that committed and they're still, you know, and they still got that spirit and that, you know, little bit of edginess and, yeah. you know, edginess whilst being abs absolutely, like you said, you know, edge but incredibly focused on what you're wanting to yeah, do yeah, yeah. really efficient with the resources that you've got got to, you know you haven't you're taking on a massive great industry you know they're doing amazing work now with plastics i mean it's a huge task but again focus 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 mm. be it, really efficient it's super interesting though because i think you know that's to have that spirit and to have those types like to have that edge that focus to keep that that's quite a rare thing I've seen, is particularly in the environmental space, to keep that mm. that energy. What 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 is what's the secret to that thing? What's why why has SAS managed to keep that alive? Uh, uh, I think because uh, some of it I reckon is because we're living in it. Yeah. So, as I said, you know, I met Hugo Friday at one o'clock. He'd been for a surf before work. I've been for a surf in the middle of the morning because I was a bit slack on work. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we'd both been in the yeah. water, so you're seeing it firsthand. And yeah. that that drives back, you know, this isn't a theoretical thing right. that you're campaigning about, that you're being an activist about. You're seeing it. Yeah, it's visceral. It's, it's around you. Yeah, around you all the time. And, yeah. and that gives you, you know, the people legislating, it's not like that. They don't see that. Mm. You know, one of the best things that could happen to Parliament is that all of those, you know, guys and girls in the houses who are meant to be representing us, if they all worked for two weeks a year in the, their summer recess in a real job, mm. whoa, we would see a change in the way that the mm. country was run. But yeah. because they're legislating and ruling on stuff that they think theoretically they understand. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, the Secretary of State for Health when did he ever work a shift in A&E? On the front line. Never. Yeah. Never. Yeah. And you can't, you know, that's, that's, you can't rule a country and legislate without that genuine experience. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I was chatting to quite recently, but we were talking about, again, yeah, how, how so much of our power is, you know, policies and, meetings of leaders and everything it's all done in very removed environments you know yeah you know rooms that are kind of out of the way of anything you got we said before like you know if you put a bunch of world leaders in a in a wood at night and, and <laughs> around a fire and got them to kind of sleep out and make you know make decisions on their relationship to you know how we how we you know how we legislate around the natural world or like you say you put them in the ocean <laughs> for, mm. a, for a meet you know because you're you're you your the context you realize uh your your order in the order of things <laughs> in life right which i think surfers and those folks that spend plenty of time in or around the ocean 
are feeling and sensing all the time, right? So yeah, yeah, it's a di- and that's where you draw your power from. Yeah. That's where you can draw your energy. Yeah, and your inspiration comes from that. Yeah, and then you know, yeah, it goes through and out, and that's who you're acting for. That's who you know. That's who you represent. Mm. You represent the oceans and everybody who uses it. Yeah. So thinking about, because um, I was interested, um, you know, I've been chatting a little bit over the last couple of days, but just about the, you know, like the youth climate strikes on Friday mm. that have just happened. And, and you, you know, for me, that was, was such an interesting, not only because my son went on it, but just, I just, it just felt like there's some, some energy like on the ground, on the ground again, in a, in a very sort of positive way, I'd say. But, you know, you've sort of, you've been at the, uh, you know, from 1990 at that kind of grassroots creative activism kind of what's your sense now when you look around 30 years later and of what's happening how do you are you hopeful for 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 change for i mean what do you see when you kind of look around the uk now and beyond how do you feel about some some things depress me immensely although i tend not to get depressed immensely um but you know they worry me they concern me um but I am optimistic. I think, uh, I think we can do this. Um, you know, we absolutely have the ability and the know-how and the resource to solve all of these problems, and it's just about prioritizing that. I do think and, and hope that everybody votes. You know, that's the absolute. That's where the power shift can come, because mm. at the moment. You know that I look back in in 1962, as many people aged between 18 and 25 voted as over 65s voted. You look at the last general election, and it was massively skewed. Mm. It, it, there had been a change in the last one. Um, there were more young people voted, but they hold the power. So this lot doing this now, you know, it may be a bit grim at the moment. But I reckon over the next two or three elections, we will see a shift. Now, that does require um, a lot of good communication. It requires some leaders coming through. But absolutely, hold these people to task. You know, they represent us. Never, ever let them dictate to us. It's, it's like, really important. I, have, I always have on my surfboard, I spray... Um, Tom Robinson band had an album called Power in the Darkness back in the mid 70s and on it, it inside it so there's a the, the fist of solidarity on the front cover and inside was a stencil and it said do not spray on public property which absolutely was what you were meant to do but I always have that fist uh, and I put it on my surfboards and MAD make a difference because we can mm. and we have not only do we have the right to make a difference, but I think we also have a responsibility. You know, we're lucky. You and I, we, we've, you know, tonight we'll, you know, we've got a roof over our head. We're going to go and eat a lovely meal in a minute. We're all warm. You know, a lot of people on the face of the planet don't have that. We can campaign. We can be activists without getting shut up in jail, tortured or even, you know killed mm. so therefore we absolutely have the right and the duty to do that we're the lucky ones make it count mm. and i uh, so i think if we all get that and we motivate up you know we don't have to be violent about it we can do all this we're intelligent enough 
you know, it was brilliant seeing Greta Thunberg completely destroy Theresa May with her tweet. When Theresa May said, oh, I think it's irresponsible, you, you know, you're wasting your time. And she said, well, you've been wasting time for 30 years on climate change. Mm. If you, you know, that was just brilliant. So watch out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess that's... Complacent the... politicians. Yeah. Um, can we have, like, digital inflatable turds these days? Right. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and and that's, that, that's for the creatives to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I... We were lucky, but we used the tools that we had. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that staggers me now, you know, I have no idea how to do all of that. I, you know, I barely tweet. Um, you know, I can use FaceAke a bit, but I don't like it. Yeah. Um, uh, but they know what those tools mm. are. And there'll be people amongst them. So for them, it won't be the script writer of Casualty. It'll be the equivalent of that'll crank the power up to that kind of level. Yeah. And I guess what's interesting now is seeing, as well as sort of campaigning for policy changes, and I mean, obviously now with SAS, with the, with the focus on plastics, but actually there's also this parallel push into behaviour change by the citizen. So you know whether that's now with plastic-free communities, and but you know it's, there's a there's a, there's the kind of policy asks and the kind of shifts from you know infrastructure to you know deposit returns to all that kind of stuff we're asking industry and politics to do, but also now there's this shift into mobilizing supporters to actually start to shift behaviors of, of, you know, friends and family and citizens and communities. And that's an interesting shift as well, because that's a, it's quite a different, um, task. Yeah. Um, to, to get those kind of changes happening. But it's been interesting to see that that's popping up in many ways. It's, it's like, you know, going inland you know you're seeing these communities popping up all over the place around the country and yeah it's such and, an interesting time and and, th and that's using the tools that are available now yeah. to incredible power yeah you know yeah on uh, i think sas has its big beach clean it's a or big spring clean yeah. coming up and there'll be you know an amazing number of people yeah. out there on beaches right around the uk and communities yeah. all all yeah. going and and that was and that's yeah, going rivers uh, as well now. Uh, and, yeah, and, and, and that wasn't possible before. Yeah. It was, you know, really, really hard to... It just wasn't possible. So to to act, you know, to activate and motivate and facilitate that, that kind of multi-thousands, you know, tens of thousands of people to go out and act in that way. Mm. And that is a strong message. You know, the politicians, you know, they can see that happening. That's... So can all the consumers and, you know, the buying power and, you know, can change brands. Yeah, right. Yeah, interesting times. Um, just for, for your, from your sense now, where, where are you, what, what's your, your, your um, plans now? Where are you, other things that you're interested in doing or what, what are you, where can people track down your... So your I email? operate, it's largely just me, but a little organisation called A Grain of Sand. Small, irritating, but out comes the old pearl. That's <laughs> I that. what I like to <laughs> do. And I try and work with organizations that want to try and make a difference, and whether that be on a you know, a business, and, and I do a one-day workshop with them um, about their sustainability thinking and embedding that. Uh, I work with The Wave in Bristol, 
um, and you know we're embedding sustainable thinking in that and all the decisions that we make. Yeah, just tell us about because there'll be people that won't know that project. Give us a so the wave in Bristol is an artificial surfing wave on a on a man-made lake, um, and yeah, it's amazing technology. A wave every ten seconds, and obviously you know we're going to be running on renewable energy. Some wave pools around the world aren't going to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be fundamentally wrong. Um, but we're also going to be using it as a way of encouraging people out into the natural environment and physical recreation for you know mental and physical well-being and you know lovely landscapes and things like that. I work with a community interest, staff-owned community interest dental company that you know takes all of its profits and puts them back into you know good social projects. Mm. Um, a deep geothermal energy project in Cornwall, United Downs deep geothermal. So they were drilling two holes, one two and a half kilometres one deep, and the other one four and a half kilometres deep, and extracting natural energy from the planet. And that's wow. a test project. Wow. So helping them with communications, and then I do, you know, bits of public speaking, you know, around the UK and the odd bit of further afield inspiring people to try and believe that they can make a difference yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah. that's my you know i'm really lucky to have had that experience that i know that you know a bunch of surfers with no campaign experience at all and no knowledge of anything can make a big difference and yeah. if we can then just think what everybody can do yeah and that, that's my kind of key message yeah, i think I is that. believe you can yeah i love that um you know that um obviously with the Spaceship Earth and Buckminster Fuller and the inspiration for this this uh, podcast. but um, And that saying, you know, there are no passengers on Spaceship Earth, we're all crew. What does that, what does that mean to you, that, that whole idea? That's, ab- yeah, that completely sings, that's like music to my ears because that, what I was saying earlier about we're the lucky ones. I mean, there are some passengers, you know, there are some people who it's tough to be anything other than the passenger just hanging on by you know your fingernails so for the passengers who are in the first class or second class department you know we should really act and we have to it is our responsibility why should someone else do something it's not you know we're all part of part of this so absolutely we should do that and i love the concept of it being you know spaceship earth it, we are that's what we are we're just you know insignificant in time and the universe from afar and we've got this amazing planet we have we're so so lucky so yeah it's our responsibility we need to make it count chris thanks so much for the chat it's been brilliant to hear a bit of the story and uh, a sense of of your journey you've been on um really appreciate it and um i'll put links to your work and contacts in the show notes so anyone can follow up and and reach out but um Thanks very much for joining me. A real pleasure. Thank Thank you you. very much. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Hines. Um, Do check out the work of Surface Against Sewage if you're not aware of what they're up to. They're an amazing organisation. Absolutely pumping it at the moment. Um, So check them out in the show notes. Um, 
yeah, if you're interested in this podcast, if you like what you're hearing, please do share it. Um, give it a rating if you like on Apple or I'm on, it's on Spotify now. We're, we're into the Spotify zone uh, or SoundCloud. Um, ratings, reviews, anything. It's all good because it just surfaces the, the podcast. Surfaces, surfaces. It just, um, yeah, it helps other people find it. So if you like what you're hearing, um, please do, yeah, give it, give it some, give it some love, or give it a rant if you don't like it. That's all right as well. Drop me a line if you want to um, share anything. Get in touch. It's Dan at thespaceship.earth, um, or um, yeah, and you'll find all the podcasts at thespaceship.earth online now. Um, so yeah, so thanks for listening. Remember, folks, there are no passengers on Spaceship Earth. We are all crew. Until next time. Peace and 